My guest this month is Jim O'Brien. Jim is an actor, a handyman, and godfather to about a dozen children, which I think should tell you a lot about him. Jim has years of experience with brothering, so I think you'll find value in what he had to share. I hope you enjoy the interview, and thanks for listening. We will remember this night, because it is the night we begin brothering for each other. What has been your relationship to other men historically? Oh, I'll say adversarial. <laughs> I mean, I'm just flashing back to like, you know, fifth grade and high school and middle school and those guys. And it was just, I think it was familial. I was looking for such a strong bond outside of my home that, you know, my other relationships carried so much more weight and intensity that, you know, it was... You know, they're all like brotherhoods. There's like not a lot of casual jerk off friend. Pick good guys and you keep them close and you trust them and you, you don't really lean on them. I mean, my, my own brother and I are like twins almost. We're five years apart. But when I see myself on camera, I just see him and, you know, his mannerisms and everything else. And uh, we're so alike. People thought we were twins just because of the way we acted and stuff like his his. His friends would be able to tell I was his brother just from like meeting me. But um, yeah, my guys were always critical, is a good word, uh, because of the weight and the importance. Like, I'm still friends with all my high school buddies saying, they say, You staying here? You know, like all the houses I could just walk into and just go into the fridge and be like, By the way, I'm in town, I'm staying here. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, so yeah, it's been been critical. You know, I don't suffer fools. What created that that need that you call it critical? Do you want to talk about your relationship with your father? That Yeah, well, he wasn't really around. You know, he was around once a week, but, like, there was an apathy, I guess, um, on my part. You know, I don't know his version of it, but on my part, that it was just kind of like, hey, he's not interested. You know, so I had these other guys who were, and were calling me, want me to come sleep over and go on family vacations with them and stuff. I'm like, okay, well then I'm with these guys. So you felt you felt the apathy. Yeah, I felt just like this other guy's not really burning calories. So let me go with these guys who are highly motivated. You know, they have me around, like me and love me and laugh at my jokes. Yeah, I think it was the consistency, the availability, and the interest. You know, my dad was just kind of like. I don't know if he tried a lot when, when my parents first got divorced and then just kind of like gave up or what, but. How's your relationship with men evolved or changed since when you were younger? I think just uh, picking better ones, you know, like, and, and keeping them closer. Knowing, you know, who to keep in the inner circle and who not to, who's safe and trustworthy, you know, trust the trustworthy, they say. And because uh, I remember growing up, it was like any older kid. I was just like, oh, he's a big brother. He's going to take care of me. It's like, no, he's a jag off older idiot douche. Um, so it was like just putting that on everybody around me. Like, oh, they're going to be noble because they're older and they're going to take care of the younger. No, they're jerk offs. 
Um, so now picking wisely who, you know, who the good people are to rely on and to, you know, go to the well that has water. But you wanted that. You strove to find those type of relationships, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. The big brother guy to, to be safe, you know, to have an, old, an older guy who knew things, take care of me, make me safe and, you know, be smart and teach me things as opposed to me just having to figure it all out on my own. I mean, there was a kid in my building, an older guy in my building, and he was always giving me shit about copying. And he said, boy, you copy me. Why was kind of like, you know, this is flattering, you know. And he had a little brother, too, so he should have been used to it. And, like, my older cousins, you know, they were gods. You know, when you went, and it was funny. There was my one cousin, Bob, when I'd go hang out with him. Like, he had a dirt bike, and, like, I mean, he was just the coolest. And... They used to say when we got together, we I would just walk around going, we're the boys, right, Bob? Right? <laughs> so that was like, yeah, Jim used to walk around going, we're the boys, right, Bob? Right? Me and you, we're the boys. And even my friends, but my friends were all knuckleheads. My friends had parents. So my friends didn't know how to do anything. They were morons. They didn't know how to dress a wound. They didn't know how to do laundry. They didn't know how to cook or clean or, you know, fend for themselves. They were like kids. They were like dumped nine-year-olds who didn't know how to do anything. And I was like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, oh, you guys are children. You don't have to know how to do all these things. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I can't count on you. You you know, no, you're not hypersensitive. You don't know what's going on. Hypervigilant. Yeah. There's la la la. A luxury. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about not having had that luxury? Um, resentful. At first I was resentful because um, I, I lived with this woman in Chicago and her little kids, same thing. They were fucking idiots. They didn't know how to do anything. I was like, what do you mean you know how to cook? You're seven. <laughs> like, just make some food. Then I was like, oh, these guys are kids. They're precious and they're protected. And they, you know, they have a window until we have to dump all that stuff on them. And so it's like, protect the window. You know, that's the job is protect the window. And so I was competitive with kids early on because I was jealous. And then, so I was a terrible uncle, you know, the first couple of God kids and, and nieces and nephews, I wasn't that good. And as I got older, I was like, oh, you have to lose the game, you know, for them so they can have the experience of winning and you got to get the burnt piece of toast, you know, be magnanimous and be the adult. And when I started, you know, giving myself that room to be that kid, like, okay, I'm going to make a safe space for you to hang out and, you know, not have to be vigilant and be on guard all the time and, be working all the time. And um, I used to have to smoke weed just to take off the next six hours. I just have the afternoon off to be like, okay, now you're worthless. Just go walk down to the beach and don't do anything and, and to relax. And then, you know, that evolved into just being at home and like relaxing at home and having whatever you want for dinner and going to a movie or just chilling out or taking a day off. He's being like, yeah, there's there's room to luxuriate and play and relax here. You're able to do that now more easily. Yeah. Yeah, before I was just, it was a treadmill. It was like, wake up in the morning and just go, go, go. And it's like, be this to be enough. Like chasing the, filling the bucket that has holes in it constantly. Like just sitting there like, what are you doing? Watch TV. You should be learning another language or at least another accent. You know, like, it's like, fill a resume, you know, be enough. In case they come calling and you got to be able to do everything. And it's just like, no, I'm good. Like the kid is enough. My inner child is enough. 
you know, he's perfect. You know, all little kids are perfect just the way they are. You're not like, hey, little boy, come here. You know Portuguese? Let's get you on that. Letting your inner child have time to, to just exist and be. Yeah. And then he doesn't have to worry about any of the adult bullshit. Or, hey, man, don't worry about tomorrow. I got this. You don't have to worry about that. You don't even have to go to that job or that audition or whatever it is. I remember once in acting class, I came in and I did it. And I got direction. I went out in the hall. I told my inner child, I said, listen, don't worry about this. We're just having fun. We're just getting to play in there. And I went in there and I crushed it. My coach stopped me. He goes, what did you do differently? And I said, I told my inner child, we could just play and have fun. He was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, that was cool. And that was fun. And it was just like, yeah, we just get to play. Like, we don't have to do this. We get to do this. And this is fun. So both of you are at the audition. You're handling the, the practicalities. and Yeah, I drove up. I parked. And I'm just like, oh, we got to be this guy. And he's going to fight with this girl. And then we get to go in there. Okay, let's go. Or sometimes I don't even bring him in there. I go, listen, he's, I got this. Stay in the car. Wait here. I'll go. Dad's got to go to work. <laughs> I'll come back and you know, we'll go get some ice cream. Is that the same as your general self-love, self-care protocol, or is that a separate thing? Uh, that's separate. That's just maintenance that I have to do to take care of him and keep him happy. Um, and then the adult stuff is, you know, the body, the mind, the health, the, you know, like adult fun. What is that, going out to dinner with your friends? Like... That's not that fun. Like, that's, you know, go to a movie, ooh, you know, like, let's do some paintball or some skydiving or something fun. Let's go run jet skis. Um, I don't know. I've gone out to some dinners with you that are pretty fun. Yeah, right. But that's like literally, if your lives are busy enough, that's what it all it is. All adult fun is until somebody says, hey, let's go to the batting cages or mini golf or something else. It's, you know, really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, the inner child stuff is just maintenance that, because it shows up in ways when that's neglected. I've had people reach out to me lately. It's so funny. Like when I need to do that work, someone else comes at me and is like, hey, I feel this feeling inside me. I go, oh, well, that's your inner child. Like you're satisfied as an adult, but that wound is unhealed. And that's that emptiness that you're feeling, that longing that you're still feeling. And I go, oh, that, that's right. I need to do that and check in with him. Go to the art store and buy some paints. And for those who don't, who aren't familiar with that dynamic that you just described, what, how does it show up in people's lives, or what do you see? Well, for me, when I um, first started healing as an adult from my childhood, I realized I had to, I had to weep for that child and as that child, because there wasn't the time and the space for my feelings when I was little. There wasn't any room for it in the chaos. So I was like, oh, that's still in here. Like that's still this nagging wound, this kid who's been neglected and abandoned is still in the room, terrified, crying, and he's waiting for me to show up and go to him. I don't know if you saw that Elton John movie where he's like, are you going to hug me now? Like that was his wound. Like his dad was this military guy who was tough. And he was like, Daddy, are you going to hug me now? And he's like, no, nah, go to bed. And so it kept showing up in Elton's adult life, this little kid, are you going to hug me now? You know, hug me now until he loved himself, you know, and is able to go back and attend to that kid. That kid's always going to be there. And that wound will always be there until it's addressed. And so the idea is that you can't go back in time and, and fix any neglect. Or you can, maybe, but you can't literally go back in time, but you can, you can have a proxy relationship. You're going to be the adult you needed. 
for yourself or the parent you needed at that time like because that wound isn't going anywhere so you know get what you needed you know people are just like spend their lives waiting for their parents to become the people they needed and it's like you just do it like you're not going to get your mom's never going to say those things if you want her to say those things write yourself a letter sign a mom that says all those things mail it to yourself and have it show up and that's the way you're going to get it because she's you know, whoever she is and is broken and is not capable of whatever you needed. So don't go without just because they weren't capable. You know, find the gaps and fill them in yourself. First message I learned when I was little is like, no one's coming, like, to save you from this craziness. Like, you're on your own. And so I was like, oh, well, I'm on my own, I guess, you know, forever. And then, but I still didn't get the message until I was like 40. Then I was like, oh, yeah, no one's coming to like, make my life what I want it to be. Like no one's coming to give me the dream job or the dream girl. Like people don't care that you're in a crappy apartment or a crappy job or whatever. It's like, you need to make it happen and give yourself those gifts. I was like, Oh, okay, let's go. We're expecting someone else to manage my feelings and needs. That's not their job. You know, it's my job just to stand up and say what I need and what I want. Because then it's just like, oh, this person's let me down and I didn't get what I wanted. It's like, well, you didn't ask. The ability to speak up, you know, not just take what you're given. Because when you're a kid, you got to take whatever your parents are. You don't get to leave. You don't get to go, fuck these guys. I'm out here. But as an adult, you're just like, yeah, no, I'm good with you, bro. I'm out. Like, whatever. Or, you know, you know, you give them a couple chances and set a boundary. And I heard recently... A uh, boundary is the space between me and you that allows me to love me and you. And nobody can argue with that. Like, if you want to keep this, this is what I need. Take it or leave it, which is a great one because it's just, it's not accusatory. It's just, this is, you know, what I need. Like, when we hang out, I need to go places where there's garlic fries. <laughs> I need garlic fries <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. Pickle chips. Something tells me it's not as simple as that. But. No, there's also a piece of self-sufficiency in there. I remember one time when we were on a backpacking trip, you said, the, the thing I love about this trip is that I know that all these guys are coming, they're shit handled. And, you know, I can just show up and... Yeah, because, you know, I don't have to take care of you. And if you're an adult enough to be taking care of you, you can probably take care of me if I need it. Like, there's no dead weight. I sailing a lot and you know there's all these other boats and other families and stuff and the people may seem like ninnies or idiots or fools but they're sailors they're badass and they can handle shit they're capable people who can know have all the tools know where everything is and when it goes down they can react to it appropriately um and that's one of the tenets of burning man is radical self-reliance so if i can take care of myself i got all my shit together i'll probably have extra shit to take care of you because there's a little overflow Instead of over here fixing, you know, helping dummy tie a shoe. Talk more about the experience of Burning Man and the, what it asks of you and what you appreciate about it. What I appreciate and hate about it is it's so confronting. Like, it's like, this is, you bring your authentic self out here. And don't try to put us on, you know, and love yourself here. Because this is a place of radical acceptance. And everybody's doing their thing, whatever their thing is, whatever they want their thing to be, they're doing it and they're sharing it. And it's like, well, I don't even know myself well enough to know what my thing is. And then I worry if I'm doing it right. Is this the right outfit? I don't know. Is it the one you wanted? 
No, not if I think about it. It's the one I'm wearing to impress you guys. <laughs> um, so that's really intense. Yeah, it's like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? What do you want to wear? People are just like, no, tell me when lunch is. Tell me what to wear to the pool. Tell me how to act at the pool. And tell me, you know, when cocktail hour is. That's what most people want to do on vacation is just shut off. Instead of just, you know, this giant free-for-all acceptance of whatever you want. Yikes. Yeah, that's intense. And it's so weird. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I feel like the community knows when you don't love yourself out there. And that's why you go for the whole week because it takes a while to peel the onion. By the end of the week, you get there and you're just like, ah, and you drop in and you're broken open and you just can accept yourself however you are and whatever outfit you bought and, you know, have fun instead of just making it competitive. Like competitive spirituality or like competitive yoga. All these things people do. It's like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? I'm more spiritual than me. You're drinking kombucha. <laughs> like what? Like like the guy who brings his yoga mat on the plane. It's like, oh, okay. Well, we all know who's better than everybody on the plane, don't we? <laughs> Wait, you, you think that kind of stuff happens in LA? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Competitive self-love. I think you can trick yourself into saying you're engaging in self-love when you're just being lazy or that's where the parenting comes in it's like yeah you can have a donut don't get all the donuts and you can have you have vegetables 80 percent of the time but then you get a little treat but you don't get you know sundays for breakfast you also seem to prioritize spending time with men yeah there's um ceremony you know like every couple of months you have this thing and you know to be in a circle of people and men who, where I'm safe and I trust them, that I'm truly safe and I can truly have intimacy with them and be vulnerable and know that I'm in a safe space where I'm loved and I can be silly. And that's where Andrew Charles starts coming out because he knows we're safe and we can goof around and be with the uncles and, you know, we don't have to be hypervigilant and take care of everything because it's, you know, playtime. Yeah, it's funny. I have a buddy of mine who's um, the most chill guy ever, like almost. Like his doctors might be worried at this point. Like he's so chill. He has his three older stepbrothers, and I think the youngest one is ten years older than him. So he grew up in a house of men, like four, three men, three brothers, and a dad on guard. So he just slept like a baby. Didn't give a fuck. Sleeps on his back like a vampire. Doesn't budge the whole night. So he's like his nervous system is the opposite of mine. <laughs> Like, he's always just like, what? Danger? What is that? Like, what are what, your adrenal glands? What are they? I'm like, the things that are pumping all the time in my body. What do you mean? Things that are exhausted. Um, so, yeah, when I find that safe space, like, there's literally a part of me just kicks on. And it's just like, and it's like I want to test the waters to see what I can get away with. See how silly and funny I can be and whatever. It's, just like, it's like, all right, take tone. We're safe. We don't have to keep testing. We don't have to be obnoxious. Like, it's okay. Like, we get to be here and be free and relaxed, but don't push it. Just silly and snarky. You know, I don't edit myself. I don't censor myself. I say whatever I want. Um, you know, you can sing and, you know, just be free. You know, it's like it's like being in a marriage after 20, you know, 20 years. You just you get to bust their balls as much as you want. Like, where are they going? 
And in what kind of scenarios? Like, I'm, I'm sure Burning Man sounds like it's one of them, but that's that's certainly a co-ed situation. Burning Man, um, the camping trip I go on, the uh, there's a spring trip I go on, ski trips. And there's also a feeling of like, especially the camping trips, like the fear of, oh my God, do I have everything I need to survive? You know, that's the first voice when you first start camping. It's like, oh God, I'm going to be screwed. I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be cold. I'm going to die. And then later on, you learn, well, these guys, there's eight other guys here who got you. Capable, self-reliant, radical, intense dudes who are badasses who got your back. So it's like, oh, there's a cushion here. You know, they're going to catch me if I fall. Literally, we've had, we've carried guys up and down those mountains and out of those canyons. So it happens. Talk about some books or other works that have inspired you. Uh, probably my favorite book is uh, Gates of Fire about the Spartans, the 300, who went to the Battle of Thermopylae. Um, and there's that whole culture of, um, you know, your shield isn't for you, it's for the man next to you. And just that mindset alone makes you stronger and braver than you ever would be if you're just cowering behind your shield protecting yourself. It's like, no, I got this guy next to me who I love. Who I need to protect him for this whole entire battle. You know, his life is in my hands. They invented a uh, really dog tag system where you put it in the basket. And at the end of the battle, whoever doesn't come and get their thing, they know who's fallen. And the parts you put on that that goes in the basket is the part of you that's nurturing, that kisses his son, makes love to his wife, has a garden, sings in the choir, paints, you know, the gentle human. You put that away because that's not for the battle. And then you take the animal, whatever's left goes into battle. You're able to do these horrific things and these savage things and just slaughter and be terrified to the core of your existence. And then the king would come around after a battle and say, have you knelt? Go to each man, have you knelt? Meaning, have you knelt down and sobbed out this fucking terror you just went through? And that was a process. And they just did and they knelt and they sobbed and they got, and then they went to the basket and got their human humanity back and put it back in their body. But they got to vent and they were just like, that's why they were the best fighting force in the world. Because they knew how the psychology of it. They weren't the strongest, you know, they weren't the best spear throwers, but they knew the psychology of having to do this. This is a fact of life and we have to weather this as feeling human beings. You know, this will make us insane. We'll be sociopaths if we just do this all the time, you know, but we have to go out here and cut these guys' heads off and then go back home and have dinner with our wives without killing them. And, eating our own children. So yeah, that was intense. I love that. I'm reading Bono's book now. I get a line there that said, you know, entertainers are either told they're great their entire childhood or they're neglected. That's how you make an entertainer. You either neglect them or you tell them they're great. And uh, it's it's making sense now, like in all his music and everything. I'm like, oh yeah, like these guys can't, there was a fire. It came from these guys, you know, that propelled them for years doing this. You know, it's like, and it's so funny how everyone's story, they said like Howard Stern's dad used to shush him and listen to the radio. The radio is more important than Howard. So Howard said, I got to get that radio to get my dad to hear and see me, you know, like, and it's just, and we're all like, oh, this amazing story. Like he wanted to be famous. So people noticed him. It's like, yeah, his parents, probably two people he wanted to notice. And uh, it all boils down to the same thing. I just read Cast, too, by Isabel Wilkerson, which is just, ooh, 
that was not easy to read about the underlying caste system in America and in India and how, you know, our system is set up on it and how it benefits up some and hurts others and, you know, there's no way around it. We're all part of it and we're in it. In India, everyone knows it's operating. Yeah, in India, they're like, yeah, the, the lower run just gets, it's brutal. Right, it's no, it's no less here. It's if we, yeah. Well, the Third Reich came and studied the Jim Crow laws before they set up the Jewish segregationism. And they were like, whoa, you guys are fucking intense. We're not going to do all that. We're just not going to let them intermarry and own property. But Jesus, the rest of this, like America, too intense for the Nazis. Like prayer for Owen Meany. I mean, that was awesome. Love those. I mean, just getting into a book, like I'm 40 pages into this one now, and I know I'm going on this ride, and this is going to be my mindset. And it's, you know, because you're ingesting it. And this is, you're going to swim around in this for a while and be part of this and go on this this ride with this author. And it's just fun. And plus the, giving myself the time to do that, you know, and not just watching TV or sleeping or being on, you know, social media, just sitting on the couch and doing something wholesome and healthy for myself, sitting in silence and reading. Like, I'm like oh, this is top line behavior. You know, every time I jump on social media, it's like, I noticed last time I was scrolling through and I had a feeling like my anxiety was up and my body was tense. And I didn't even remember what the thing was that did it. But I'm, you know, 10 memes later, I'm just like, wait a minute, I'm feeling this way. And it's a roller coaster. Like, well, you don't choose the emotions you're going to feel, but you're probably going to feel them all the next three minutes. And it's, you know, horny and scared and pissed and jealous and, you know, all these things that you just don't sign up for. You got to have the clarity to say, I'm not going to, I don't need it. And it's like sugar. You know, once you get away from it, you lose the craving and you say, oh, I can live without this. I don't need this every 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I find the exact same thing. And the reading helped too. It's like, oh, I have this other activity now. If I want to do something, I'll do this. Yeah. The last time I went off, I, I dove into becoming a better chess player and spent a whole lot more time playing chess. Yeah, it's like find something wholesome to do with your time. It'll serve you better. What are your thoughts or feelings about formalized men's work? I mean, if you're showing up for it, you know, that's the most confronting thing is showing up and saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to reach out to other men um, in ways that my dad never did. You know, I mean, I know my dad was better than his dad, but I want to be better than both of them. If you're willing to be confronted by it, I think that's pretty intense. It's pretty powerful. I talked to a guy who was in another men's group, but they were all on Zoom. I was like, what? You're not even getting eye contact. Like, that's not even in person. He's like, oh, yeah, no. We were talking for a long time. He's like, yeah, I'm in this men's group, this and that, this and that. I was like, see, I got a meeting tonight. I was like, where? He's on Zoom. I was like, what? You're not even in the room with these guys? Showing up honestly. It's so simple. Like, show up, tell people what your truth is. Meeting's over. Go home. Like, that's a win. Like, to show up and say, I'm getting my ass kicked by the world today, or I'm crushing it today. Like, whatever your truth is, just be honest. For three minutes for your, of your whole week, that's profound. And I remember when I first joined the men's group, it was 
like driving up there and thinking, okay, I'm going to say this, and I did this this week, and I did this well, and I did this well, and I read it's like, I'm, you're not getting a report card on how your week went. It's just, what what is it? What is your truth? And how are you really? Because there's nine people here who really want to know. And we're here to listen and make a space for it. Because we don't feel it's safe for whatever our truth is. You know, if we knew we were going to be fine, whatever we were, every time we shared our truth, wherever we went, nothing, it wouldn't be confronting. But we get this idea that we're not safe to be people, be humans. It's not like, hey, I murdered a bunch of kids last night. It's like, yeah, I had a bunch of fear that I'm not good enough. Or, you know, I, feel, I got a lot of FOMO or my imposter syndrome is going insane, whatever it is. But the funniest thing is about social media is you're looking and it's like, oh, everyone is on here. And everyone's sending me the same memes I'm sending them. And I was like, oh, we're all doing this. This is the most shameful thing in my life. And everybody else is doing it as much as I am. Like, they got us, man. Oof. There should be a day where everyone has to post their social media hours. It just automatically gets posted to all your followers every week. And then it's like, oh, we got to go check on him. Yeah, it's like, oh, we got to go, we got to go go to his house. We have to do an in-person human thing with him because he's down the rabbit hole. He's memes. My one friend, he was doing, he got the conspiracy algorithm going. And I would get him from him. Oh, boy. I mean, got to call him because he's, he's going down the tube. And he's deep, you know, not even the, the popular conspiracies, like some deep third tier ones. It's like, woof, got to go. Take him out to dinner. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful. You can. It's not. It's not difficult. But you know, you look at one, and you're at risk of. Being well, you mad. just you just pause, you slowly scroll on an ad, and it's like, oh, he looked. That was a look. That wasn't a pass. We got him. He wants these jogging shorts. What else? What else have you learned that you think is helpful? Well, the calling calling each other out on your blind spots. You know, like when you're young, you'd be an idiot and you're all idiots. So you're just doing idiot things. And as you get older, it's like, hey, man, get your shit together. But in a loving way. It's not just, you know, I mean, I have a friend who's so shame-based. You say, hey, man, I think you should look at this. That to him sounds like someone standing over him beating him with reeds. Like he can't even hear anything. So it's, it's tricky and sticky to kind of get him help. And to call on him and say, hey, I'm your friend. It's my job to call you on your bullshit. And and then looking back on all the years where nobody called me on that bullshit. Those guys were my friends and they didn't call me on that. Like you're allowed to have expectations of excellence from your men. These are your peers. You're only going to be as good as them. They're, they're, they influence you the most. They're who you, who you are around. And, you know, you want them to be top-level guys that you can share anything with. And, you know, to have a phone call with a guy, it's like, oh, joke, 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 blah, blah, blah. But it's like, but I can't share what's really going on in my day with this person. Why is this person in the rotation then? That's also something that I think people have to get accustomed to. It's not everybody wants to be called out. You know, I think until you realize that there's value in that, I think most people would prefer not to be. Well, yeah, because they feel like they're being attacked, or that it's a, and it's like, no, dude, I'm just letting. I love you. I'm coming from a place of love. Do it the right way. Say, hey, I'm just letting you know this is holding you back, and I want you to. I'm rising. I'm growing. You know, come with me. Don't be left behind. 
if you're confronting someone in that way or, or you know calling someone out in that way it's because you feel like they're up to it if you, if you didn't think they could rise it wouldn't say anything i've been marinating for years before people call me to task you know like he's not ready you know just let him do his thing and get there and you know you get there when you get there and then you can step to the fire and be called to ceremony with the men until then, you're just going to be playing grab ass with the boys. And the ability to be broken. You know, it's not all about, hoorah, look what I accomplished. I'm, you know, I'm a warrior. It's like, I'm a person, and this shit is no joke. I'm showing up and being authentic and letting this life in and feeling it. There's going to be times where it's, it's too much, or, yeah, maybe more often it's that. Yeah. Yeah, crying. And being broken in front of the man and being afraid of, you know, the reaction when the reaction is jealousy, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I got there and I was able to do that, set that down and get rid of it and push through it. And, you know, the relief, it's just like, you put you guys sitting around going, fuck. Isn't that amazing? I, that, you're so right. Getting to that spot is typically the most challenging you're asking yourself the most to do that and why that's so hard is because you're afraid of the reaction and you're right like if you're around the right people the reaction is like i wish i could be that open well the fear too is also there's no safe space for this in the world and i'll be abandoned if i do this and then it's like well there's one way to find out and are you safe and really loved your parents didn't teach you that but these guys might, so find out. And that's the core of addiction. I'm never, never safe to share this truth with anyone. You know, addiction is the opposite of intimacy. In intimacy, you can share your truth with anybody, you know, when you're safe to do it. And then when somebody has that shame of just, I can't, I'm so horrible. So this piece of me is so unlovable. I either have to be a narcissist and dictate everyone and have them do what I want them to do and experience what I want them to experience. Otherwise they'll leave me if I could color their whole vision of me or I just have to hide it and bury it. I can never share it and never be seen. And that's what will drive people to kill themselves with addiction, that loneliness. I mean, I go to Al-Anon. Um, I think 12 step is, the most powerful spiritual program of the 20th century or the 21st century. I never know which century it is based on, is it the, it's strict. It's the sec it's 21st. So we're in the 20, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's profound because it's the spiritual movement. It's a, it's all spiritual practice and it's literally whether you have faith in God or whatever your higher power, whatever it is or not. And there's two different ways to live life. Either you trust or you don't. And not trusting is, is troublesome. You know, you're, you're never safe. When you trust, it's like, oh, here's this thing. It might be a con job by whoever started religion, but holy shit, does it make life easier. This way, I get up and go, yeah, no, it's going to work out. I trust it. You know, however this day's going to go, this is how this day's going to go. So who do you who do you feel you're trusting in when you're doing that? God, the universe, being in the right wavelength, where it's like you want to be on the right radio station to be at your best. 
And that's when you're calm and you're trusting. You're not in fear and you're not freaking out. That's all static and chaos. When you trust and you're just calm, it's like, well, I can see the whole situation clearly. You're not like a, a terrified cop going in a situation. Everything's a gun in everyone's hand. Just go look at you know situation calmly and see what's really going on and who the players are and what's happening. And that's where the faith is. It's just like, yeah, we're gonna get through this. However, I went to a dead show the other night. And these guys are freaking out and like, well, if the parking is this and then we do that, and I was just like, whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. Like we're gonna get there when we get there. We're gonna stumble into the show. Did they know it was a dead show? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we had a cone stuck under our car that we dragged around the forum and then drove into the parking lot and everyone was pointing and laughing at us and stuff. We were like, yeah, like you have a cone under your car. <laughs> but then we had to put it on top of the car so we knew where the car was. So that worked out. But yeah, that, that whole turning over and it's surrender. You know, it's like, oh, I have to be in charge of everything or everything's going to get fucked up and everyone's going to die. Like, no, you're not. Well, let's talk about the difference between that and and self-sufficiency, self-reliance. Well, self-reliance is, um, you know, making money so I can pay rent, but trusting that I'm going to have work, you know, trusting that the phone's going to ring, trusting that there's going to be enough. So it's not an abdication of responsibility or... Not at all. I got to do my part, but I just have to do my part and not freaking out every day. You know, I'm choosing to be like, yeah, no, it's going to be fine. And if I have a day off, go to the beach. You know, you can stress about not working that day, or you can take the day off you've been given and go play mini golf. What are some challenges that you see modern men facing? Um, well, there's a whole thing going on right now with all the girl boss energy where women are realizing that, oh, they've kind of shot themselves in the foot because, you know, they're these strong, independent women, and now they don't have men to ma either match their intensity or be bigger energy or who can comfortably go into a feminine energy to balance those two energies. The girls are too tough, and the guy's like, well, I'm tough too, so we're going to butt heads, or the guy's you know, too soft, and that's unattractive to the woman, you know, his energy is too soft. But, um, yeah, it's kind of, or they go, girl boss themselves into a place where they're kicking ass, now they want to peer. And, you know, some guys are like, hey, man, I'm just doing my thing, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not doing that with you. Like, congratulations, you've accomplished so much, but I'm, this is my vibe over here, so if you need me to be that, that role that you're already doing, why do I have to? You're doing it. You know, I know a lot of guys in LA who are stay at home dads, you know, and the wives work, the wives have good union production jobs and make good money, but the wives grind and there's resentment there for sure. But there's resentment when men do it and the women stay home, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's a big challenge. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of expectations um, being put out there of what women want. Let me fuck this up. Don't you pre-fuck it up before I even get started. You know, let me show up, show you who I am, and then we'll take it from there. But don't come preloaded with these expectations and disappointments. So you're saying that the, the landscape of interaction between men and women is difficult for those reasons? Yeah. 
especially in this town, this town is just chaos. I mean, the dating scene is just, people leave, people move away because it's just like, if this was the only city and our, the, the humanity continuing was dependent on this city, we'd be done in two more generations. There'd be no humans. Like I heard a thing the other day, it said, um, toxic capitalism is attractive in men, not in women. What were the bad ones? They're supposed to be good ones. When the women start doing the bad shit, it's like, oh God, we don't have any hope for us at all. We're fucked. Talk a bit about that. I mean, because I think everything you just mentioned is is based on the on the concept of polarity, right? That there's, it's not really like attracts like, it's opposites attract in terms of masculine and feminine energy. Yeah, I mean, I've dated some strong women because it's attractive to me, but then I feel this weird feeling where I'm being pushed into a feminine role and it doesn't feel right to me. Well, at the same time, I'm still attracted to that type of women. Um, but it's like, I'm not, I'm the guy. Well, there's the inner child and the inner feminine. Like if you're half Italian and half Irish and you look more Italian, you're still half Irish. And that's the same with every human being. You're half woman, half man. That's what made you. So it's in there. You know, it's it's not just all one way. It's interesting when you're dating a woman who works in corporate world and is, you know, all those things at work, you know, and then wants to come home and you get to be that for her, but then she resents you because you're not making the money that she's making. It's like, well, we're both doing film roles here. Like, everybody should be happy. Like, we're getting it done. Everything's covered. Men are seen for what they can provide. And it's like, I don't want to be seen like that. You know, I reject that. So, like, I want us to be seen for the other things I offer. And that will let those things have value. When it comes to guys. Uh, well, I've noticed that, um, I mean, my guy, we say I love you a lot. Like, you know, the guys who do love me. They say it, I say it to them, they leave me voicemails, like it's it's a thing, you know, it's like, love you, man. And then it's funny, my brother and I will just be like, sometimes we'll connect on that, and sometimes we won't. He's like, all right, man, see you later. All right, bye, love you. And then, and then like, he's called back, be like, hey, oh, I love you too, you know, or I've called him back after he said it, and I didn't think we were going to say it, you know, it's just so stupid. It's like, of course. It's like, well, we both know, but now we're still going to say it, you know. It's funny. My dad, my one Jewish friend, his dad was like, we kiss him and call him honey and hug him. And I was just like, what? They make dads like this? What the <laughs> fuck is this? Holy shit. Well, it also normalizes being adored as a man. Like, we're just like, oh, we don't, you know, like, I've dated women who've only touched my dick. It's like, there's a whole birth human here who wants to be touched everywhere all the time, you know? And uh, yeah, normalize that. Like, I want to be craved and adored, you know, when somebody wants to put their hands on me. Like, the girlfriend in the car, like, if, you know, who touches the back of your neck, you know, and while you're driving, it's like, that's the one you want. Thank you. Love you, buddy. Come all the way out to Tarzana, didn't I?
Abdullah took his brotherhood seriously.